0: It's Thursday, December 9th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. According to Gallup's annual health and healthcare survey, among all U.S. adults, confidence in advice from doctors is down. More people reported losing trust in their doctor over the past year, and Republicans in particular had a 13% drop from a decade ago, while Democrats' trust increased. Jeffrey Jones, senior editor at Gallup, joins us for what to know as this data is consistent with changing attitudes of trust and science. Next, Amazon Web Services had a nine-hour outage on Tuesday, which led to website and streaming service disruptions, delays in package deliveries, and many smart home devices to stop working. In some cases, people had to sweep their own floors or turn on their own lights, and it highlighted just how many internet-connected devices people have in their homes and the reliance on a connection to the cloud. Sarah Needleman, tech reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for more. Finally, before the pandemic, most people probably wouldn't let a scratchy throat or even a mild cold interfere with plans. Now, even the sniffles can derail plans. What happens now could be an over-explanation of symptoms to rationalize missing out on something, or even the simple, it might be COVID, to get out of plans. Ali Karen, reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for what to know. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. In
1: 2010, 73% of Republicans and Republican leaners were confident in the advice their doctor gave them. It's down to 60% in the current survey.
0: Joining us now is Jeffrey Jones, senior editor at Gallup. Thanks for joining us, Jeffrey. Glad to be here. Let's talk about some interesting uh, stuff we saw out of Gallup's annual health and healthcare survey. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about vaccines and consult your doctor, see if these could be right choices for you. One of the questions that we were getting some more data on is how many people trust their doctor's advice? How many people don't trust their doctors or would say, hey, I got to get a second opinion or do some more research on my own? Overall, what we're seeing is that uh, more people report losing some trust in their doctor over the past year. Overall... U.S. adult in the country confidence is down just a little bit, but where we see mm-hmm. the number the highest is with Republicans losing trust of their doctor. So Jeffrey, tell us a little bit more about it.
1: Yeah. So you mentioned overall confidence is down. So we find 64% of Americans saying that they're confident in the accuracy of the advice that their doctor gives them, and then the alternative to that. Um, The option that we offer is, do they feel it's necessary to check for second opinions or do their own research? And 35% say that. We've definitely seen the drop. It's pretty much confined to Republicans, and this would include um, Republican-leaning independents. So that group, when we last asked this question in 2010, 73% of Republicans and Republican-leaners were confident in the advice their doctor gave them. It's down to 60%. In the current survey, meanwhile, Democrats, generally flat, if anything, slightly higher now, 71% compared to 68% in 2010. So definitely loss of confidence in doctors, but chiefly among Republicans.
0: 2002 seemed to be an inflection point where it was just about as low that it is right now. Uh, Do we know what was going on in 2002 that uh, the trust level might have dropped back then?
1: Um, It's hard to say really I can't you know recall exactly what was happening in two thousand two. That was still kind of in the post 9-11 period, so I'm not sure, you know, that's not obviously directly relevant to it, but you know, we did see a lot of measures uh change around that time. So um, you know, that yeah, you know, that could be a factor, but it just really isn't isn't that clear. Um, you know, it's it's a pretty big gap in between the surveys. So, you know, in this one, even compared to the last one, it's been eleven years since we asked it. We think that's probably COVID related that's Causing this right. certainly, there's a lot of skepticism among Republicans about the public health guidance um, that uh, officials are giving. Um, so you know that could be playing in. We don't know for sure, but it it seems you know like a strong hypothesis.
0: You know when you talk about people saying it's they feel it's necessary to check for a second opinion. I mean that just totally makes sense when it's some big you know, life-changing surgery that you might have or certain diagnosis of a a crazy disease, you know, something like cancer or whatever. That makes sense. But the other part of it is, hey, they feel like they need to do their own research. And while that's all good, people should be informed. You know, we've seen that's where a lot of misinformation starts thriving. So that's why it's interesting to see that a lot of people feel that way, that they're not trusting their doctors. They want to go that way instead.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not a bad advice to check for a second opinion on the on those bigger things but routine advice you know about how to deal with covid um you know i'm not sure that you know we necessarily need to to check around and like you said if you're checking on facebook or you know you're watching partisan news or you know a partisan website that uh you know it might tell you what you want to hear but it might not be telling you giving you the best advice or or accurate advice or, you know, what people who study these things for a living would uh, suggest.
0: These changes in attitudes about medical advice are also pretty consistent with other uh, findings from Gallup when we're talking about trust in science as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, This question, this goes way back to 1975. Uh, That was the last time that we had asked about trust in science, so we updated it again this year, in light of um, you know what we're seeing around COVID, as well as climate change and other factors, and we saw a steep drop among Republicans who say they're confident uh, in the institution of science. So. Um, going back to 1975, 72% of Republicans said they had either a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in science. It's down to 45% this year. Meanwhile, Democrats have gone in the other direction. They went from 67% confident in 1975 up to 79%. 79%. Um, this year so um, a huge drop among Republicans certainly a long time span there you know almost 40 years but you know pretty dramatic change and uh, you know a change in, in the ordering, too, because Republicans were at least as confident in science, if not more so, in the mid-70s, and now they're much less confident than Democrats, almost half as confident.
0: And, and to your point about that, the hypothesis, right, why this could be COVID-related, you know, a lot of people were saying that th- this erosion in trust, especially among Republicans, happened within the past year.
1: Yeah, it seems certainly COVID has been different. We kind of look back to the last kind of national crisis that we faced was 9-11. It seemed the country was more together on that one. Uh, we certainly saw a lot of rallying around uh, leaders after um, that crisis. This one seems a lot more politicized. Uh, people have kind of taken sides, um, you know, Democrats trying to maybe, you know, after they're not playing it up is a very serious threat, Republicans trying to downplay it, not a serious threat. And that's kind of spilled over into decisions about whether you need to wear a mask, whether you need to get vaccinated, that sort of thing, you know, and just a lot of mistrust about Dr. Anthony Fauci is, you know, kind of the leading voice on infectious diseases in the U.S. and kind of seen as a hero among Democrats and a villain among Republicans is kind of just a manifestation of what's going on since COVID hit.
0: Jeffrey Jones, Senior Editor at Gallup, thank you very much for joining us.
1: My pleasure.
2: Thanks. These things have become routine where we're just used to coming home and saying, Alexa, turn on the lights. Um, in, in some cases, it was, it was just regular services, like regular websites and apps that weren't working. Uh, because they are uh, tied to Amazon's cloud service. Joining us
0: now is Sarah Needleman, tech reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. It's my pleasure. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about the big Amazon web services outage that happened on Tuesday. They had a outage for about nine hours, I think it was. And in that time, you know, all sorts of things went offline. Streaming services went online. But the, the funnier part, I guess, right, uh, and I guess it was a major inconvenience for a lot of people, but people that had their their homes hooked up to a lot of stuff, uh, their, your smart home devices, people send their vacuum cleaners, their Roombas couldn't go, uh, light switches couldn't be turned on, mm-hmm. uh, animal food dispensers couldn't, uh, weren't working. It was kind of funny to see how dependent on cloud services people are and the realization of how dependent we are on these things now. So, Sarah, tell us a little bit more about it.
2: Sure. Um, these things have become routine where we're just used to coming home and saying, Alexa, turn on the light. Uh, or um, in, in some cases, it was, it was just regular services, like regular websites and apps weren't working uh, because they are uh, tied to Amazon's cloud service. So um, in, in some cases, it was a little bit more serious, like many students use a program called Canvas and they weren't able to access that. And that's where they uh get their grades or communicate with the professors or um just access uh projects they're working on. So uh for many uh finishing out the semester right now, that was a, quite a uh problem. Uh right. and certainly for people who are maybe disabled and they rely on these services uh because they can't physically do it themselves, it was no laughing matter. But then for um for other folks it was just a uh a case of you know not being able to uh make voice commands to do things that maybe they'll have to get up off the couch and, and, and turn on the lights themselves or yeah. or find out what the weather is by actually stepping out. the
0: <laughs> <course>. <laughs> In the end, what was the problem? Because uh, you made mention about how, you know, some of these things do happen every now and then, uh, outages at different mm-hmm. places like this. And a lot of times their human error plays a big role in these. But what happened with on Tuesday?
2: Uh, Well, Amazon blamed the outage on impaired network devices. So uh, that's something on their end and uh, somewhat complicated. Uh, But as you said, these things do happen uh, fairly commonly. We had a big outage um, at Facebook uh, not that long ago and Roblox as well, the uh, video game company. Uh, and, And I think what at the end of the day, what these outages show us is that um, we become um, very dependent on these technologies for, for day-to-day things, and almost to the degree that they're like a, a public utility. You know, when the power goes out, when there's a, a storm and we don't have electricity, we may have backup generators, but that's not necessarily the case here. And it's certainly something we haven't thought about in the, in the <laughs> same way that we think about, uh, you know, electrical outages when we worry about the lights and heat not working. Right. Uh, and, and as these happen more and more often, we're going to have to start thinking um, especially if, if if it locks us out of things, you know, if it locks you out of your, your garage because it's electronic um, or uh, in the case I mentioned earlier of a disabled person who relies on this technology to get in touch with caretakers, um, then we have to think a little bit more seriously about what's going on. So in in, in a lighthearted sense, uh, yeah, we're not going to have to worry about maybe getting up to manually turn something on or off, uh, but we may want to think a more bigger picture about what these outages mean and you know we can't always understand what caused them right away, and it's it, it's usually something within the company's own um, networks uh, that that leave us vulnerable. Uh, but uh, that being said, uh, we need to think about
0: it uh, more broadly. And okay, so let's get into some of the definitely. reactions, some some of the fun reactions that you had, because I, and I guess a little these are you know uh, people are exaggerating a little bit, but I guess. Uh there was somebody who who realized what happened after their automatic cat feeder wasn't working, and they said, "I had to feed, you know, my cat like in ancient times, give them food manually."
2: <laughs> this person was was kidding around, and and, and uh, he did make the point that um, he had gotten used to this uh, technology, but you know, feeding his cats every day, not having to worry about it. Um, and, and that makes sense for people who may be working outside of the home. And so, uh, when he did come home, the cats were meowing nonstop and, you know, you look at the bowl and it's empty and clean. There was no sign of, uh, (laughs) these cats having had anything to eat. So it's a good thing he came home at a decent time, we all know how cats can be very grumpy. Um, and so, uh, it's a good thing he he made it at a decent time and was able to feed them, but you don't want to make those felines mad because we all know, uh, (laughs) from the internet,
0: What that means sarah needleman tech reporter at the wall street journal thank you very much for joining us oh thanks for having
3: me i found myself sending paragraphs of text messages saying just so you know it's probably not covid i haven't been exposed to anyone but here's what i'm feeling kind of to relieve myself of some of the guilt, I guess, that I was feeling to say, are you comfortable
0: seeing me? Joining us now is Ali Karen, reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Ali. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about one of the uh, interesting quirks that have popped up because of the pandemic. Before all of this, if uh, you had a scratchy throat, the sniffles, maybe even a mild case of the cold or something, we'd always brush it off. But as these all these months have gone by, increasingly, any little thing that pops up, you're either worried you might have COVID, uh, you might you worry that you have to cancel plans, over explain yourself to people <laughs> with those plans. It's also become kind of one of these socially acceptable things now. You blame it on possible COVID and you can get out of anything really. Ali, tell us a little bit about it.
3: Right. So this is this was kind of one of those stories that was born out of a real life experience. I myself found myself oversharing, overanalyzing the slightest symptoms, if I had plans with friends or family, say later that day. Um, and I found myself sending paragraphs of text messages saying, just so you know, it's probably not COVID. I haven't been exposed to anyone, but here's what I'm feeling kind of to relieve myself of some of the guilt, I guess that I was feeling to say, are you comfortable seeing me? So Allison Chu and I, my colleague, uh, we teamed together and, um, We went out there to sort of see are other people out there feeling this way, and we learned that other people are doing it. This seems to be a trend, a new social etiquette, social contract that we're all kind of buying into um, because of how much we now know about germs and the way they spread.
0: Tell me a little bit more because you mentioned that it's kind of this new social contract and this new social etiquette. You know, someone mentioned about having to share, you know, symptoms or, or disclosing health information. I know some people feel comfortable with that, but there's also those that don't feel comfortable doing that as well.
3: Right, so it's sort of twofold. It starts with you experiencing worry. When you bring it up to the friend or family member or colleague, let's say, you're going to see later that day or tomorrow, that spreads the worry to that other person. So you're already injecting that into the air. So sharing your own worry sort of stirs worry in other people. And it can be awkward to talk about symptoms Sneezing, sniffling, scratchy throat if you're headed out to the bar with your friends for a good time.
0: You know, you don't know your status for yourself, so you, you don't want to be responsible for spreading germs to anyone else. That's probably got to be one of the worst feelings if, you know, you contracted COVID and then possibly spread it to other people knowing you got them sick
3: right so there's guilt associated with this there's worry there's anxiety and then there's something one of our experts shared that's called anticipatory regret which is this notion of the potential negative consequences that you might have on another person because of a decision you yourself made and that can ultimately play into whether or not you do the thing or you stay home
0: even after now that the pandemic has slowed in many parts and people are getting out there it still extends to other things, you know, if even if you feel a little sick, maybe in the past, you would say, well, you know, I'm I'm not feeling too good. I'm still going to get out there. People are still extending that and saying, well, you know, I don't feel so good. I don't want to spread any germs as possible uh, if I can at all. So people are even more willing to, to hold back there and, and not get out so much.
3: Right. It's funny. So many of the people that we talked to, both featured in our story and outside of our story, said Yeah. In the before times, as everyone affectionately calls it, in the before times, I would have had no problem boarding the subway or going to work or stopping at the bar on my way home with a little sniffle or with a sneeze or with a scratchy throat. And now that we're also hyper aware, we're second guessing ourselves. We're saying, well, I know it's not covid. It's likely not covid. But do I want to chance it? Because at the end of the day, what we're realizing is, even if it's not coronavirus, it's still some sort of sickness. And I think that if coronavirus has taught us anything about germs and viruses, it's that the same virus can affect two different people completely differently.
0: The funniest part of this all, I guess, is that it is become this kind of get out of jail free card. For the, so for those that, uh, hey, I just don't even want to do something with people or you make those plans and then you regret them. It's kind of a, a socially acceptable thing to throw out there and say, hey, I might be sick and at least you will get off the hook that way.
3: Right. You know, it's terrible. If you send a one line sentence saying you're not feeling well, hope to see you soon. It sounds like you're blowing off the plans, but they didn't mean anything to you. But if you send a paragraph like maybe I have and other people have, <laughs> It sounds like you're overcompensating. You're trying too hard to explain yourself. And it sounds like you're lying. When in the end of the day, I think this collective care and recognition that we all have um, for each other and respecting each other's health has been so, so present. We're more aware of the fact that our germs, viruses that we might carry, could affect other people in the most detrimental way. And it it might even be a good thing if this is a trend that continues post-pandemic.
0: Allie, Karen, reporter at The Washington Post, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, Give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Andro Mamo and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.